on interceding for others. The plan is, what I believe the Holy Spirit would have us do, is to give you some tools and also to give you some encouragement. It's easy with prayer like many other things in life. Over here by Elizabeth, Lisa. My sister's here. <laughs> makes, makes my day. Um, that to give us some tools for prayer, but also to give us some encouragement. Because with prayer, like a lot of things that we are, need to do as Christians, it's easy to get talked into the blahs, you know, and just kind of letting down. So we're going to deal with that tonight. I want to show you two materials. Uh, a lot of the lessons are based on Lynn Hammond's book, The Master is Calling. It's Discovering the Wonders of the Spirit-Led Prayer. Anything Lynn Hammond writes on prayer is just awesome. She's just right up my alley, and I get a lot out of her. So I'll be reading you some from that tonight. Another good book is uh, Bill Johnson's wife, Benny Johnson, has a book called The Happy Intercessor. And the meaning of the title has to do with the fact that in the olden days, before Miss Monica and my time, uh, people talked a lot about the burden of prayer. They looked at it as a burden, and you looked at people who were intercessors as people who, people who went around with a scowl on their face because they had this heavy burden to carry all the time. And uh, Benny talks about how there's supposed to be joy in intercession. Yes, you're praying about problems and situations, but there's joy because you're praying the answer. And you know that you're talking to the one who's going to change it. So that's a good book also. All righty then. Let's see what we got here. Put my glasses on. Now, let me see your hands. Everybody, Al, I don't see your hands yet. Al, I need to see your hands. (laughs) Now take your hands like this. Rub them together. Say, this is going to be good. It is. It is. Father, we just thank you tonight for meeting us here. We thank you for all the preparation that you've already done with your wonderful Holy Spirit to bring us here and to get us ready to receive. And Lord, we say to you right now, yes. (laughs) We say yes to what you want to teach us. Yes to the way you want to lead us. Yes to the answers of God coming to the people of God and to those around about us. This is your time and your place, and we give it to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what is Generations Church motto or theme? Where no one walks alone. Well, that's, that's good enough. I think I said it right. Isn't where no one, no one walks alone? Okay, okay. <laughs> now, what does that mean to you? Now, I know that, that um, a lot of people, they like to come and they just like to sit. You know, just let me chill out. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me to do anything. 
And, and that's fine. If you want to be that way, you can be that way. But you won't get as much out of it, and neither will the people around you, because if they have to listen to me for 40 minutes, they're eventually going to zone out on me. But if you interject your voices in here somewhat, that helps keep everybody with us, and we'll get more out of it. So back to my question again, and if it's a short answer, I'll just repeat it. If it's a little bit longer, we'll give you a microphone. But... Um, where no one walks alone. If you put that into words, what do you think that means? Being involved in other people's lives. Okay, being involved in other people's lives. Anything different? It's community where we're there for each other. And community where we're there for each other. And, and if you have a need, you have people that will surround you and pray and believe God with you. Yes, and if you have a need, you have people around you who who pray with you about that. So we we think of um, where no one walks alone is is coming alongside those that are in need or having trouble and helping them out. How does that relate to intercessory prayer? Praying for others, taking their needs to heart. Um, I believe that everyone in here, as I look around the room, is a believer, and so I believe that every one of you, every morning, get up and you have some kind of talk with God. It may be brief if you're in a hurry, but every day you're talking to God. But we don't want to be of the mode that we only talk to God about what's, what's coming at me, what's got me down, you know, what I'm facing, you know. We want to uh, be concerned about the needs of others. You know, as you look around this room, some of these people you know, and some of these people you don't know quite so well. But God calls us family, and he wants you to look around this room and see your brothers and sisters. He wants you to be as comfortable to, to talk with them and to share with them and to have them share with you as if you were in a happy, good family sitting around the table. Everybody came home for the weekend and you're just laughing. You're having a good time. You're talking about what bothers you and what helps you. That's the kind of family relationship he wants us to have. Oh, and I want to say this before I get too far from it. Miss um, Monica mentioned at the beginning about... Um, the uh, fellowship with the Lord and prayer, you know, and just talking to him about your day. I was going to show you the third week, but I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you about it because it relates so closely to what she's saying. I was watching the 700 Club a couple of weeks ago, and they interviewed a man named Bob Bodine, who has written a book called Two Chairs. Did any of you see that interview? Uh, he uh, deals with something fancy, executive research, I don't know, but he deals with uh, football teams, all kinds of things. But he talked about that one of the most dear things that he, or important things that he ever learned was two chairs. His mother had told him to set up two chairs, and every morning he was to sit down as though God was sitting in that other chair and think the answers to three questions. And I'll have to go into that more next time because I'm not prepared and I don't have it all with me. But he was just talking about how God will talk to you. If you sit down, I mean, even if it's just a few minutes, and you say, okay, God, uh, what do you have for me today? What's facing? What do you think about this? You know, we always jump into, oh, God, you know what this is, and you know why, blah, 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 blah. What do you think about it? What do you want me to get out of this? What do I need to say and do? So, anyway, it's good, but we'll talk about that later. So, anyway, back to where I was. 
Bob, is Bob still here? I'm, I'm ringing. Uh, anyway, um, we'll just do, deal with it. Uh, John 13, 1. You don't have this one on your page. But it says, Jesus knew, he was fully aware that the time had come for him to leave the world and return to the Father. You know what may be the problem, Kevin, is that I'm holding this microphone. I just thought of that. Maybe that'll help. Um, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and return to the Father. And as he had loved those, I love this sentence, as he had loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the last and to the highest degree. I just like to meditate on that and picture that. Here Jesus was with 11 of the 12 disciples that he had spent three years with, pouring into them, caring for them, nurturing them, putting up with their, their faults and failures, but loving them all the same. And what does it say about, it, about that? He loved them to the last and to the highest degree. You know that's the way he loves you. He loves you to the last and to the highest degree. And there's nothing you can do that makes him stop loving you to the last and to the highest degree. Does that mean you can live any way you want? No. But he loves you to the last and to the highest degree. But then in that chapter 13 of John, if you go on down to verse 34, it says, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another just as I have loved you. How did he love? He loved to the last and to the highest degree. So he's commanding us that we should love to the last and the highest degree. That's how we should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you keep on showing love among yourselves. You know, um, we're familiar, I think everybody in this room is familiar with the, the verse in Esther, we've talked about it a lot, how uh, her uh, uncle Mordecai said, who knows but what you've come into the kingdom is for such a time as this. And, and we've talked about it before, how we realize that we're in the last of the last days and that God is preparing great things for this generation and he wants to be us to be part of it. Who knows but what we have been born into the kingdom for such a time as this. Well, part of that is, is works and things of that sort, but part of that is this intercessory prayer. He needs you and me to be about our Father's business of interceding for the things that are going on on a national level, a world level, a community level, a neighborhood level, a familial level. All those levels need our input into them. And so we don't want to be... Um, lulled into the doldrums of not doing anything. Now, I'm going to start off in a direction you think, well, what on earth does that have to do with intercessory prayer? But I'm kind of laying some foundations tonight and just some pillars to build on. Then next week, primarily, I think we're going to be looking at, well, let me say this, when Jesus was at the well with the woman, he said, there'll come a time when you'll worship in spirit and in truth. Well, in the same way that you worship in spirit and truth, we also need to pray in spirit and truth. And the truth is the word. So what I was going to say was then next week we're going to talk about scriptures. Scriptures to pray. Scriptures to base your prayers on when you're looking at different 
uh, intercessory need. So we'll do a lot of that next week. Then the third week, we're going to talk about praying in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? How are ways to pray in the Spirit? All that, okay? But what I'm going to talk about right now is hummingbirds. Hummingbirds. I love hummingbirds. I am so fascinated by them. I uh, once uh, did a study on the internet. I, I Googled them to find out. And there's just so many interesting facts about them. How uh, right now they're in this area and we've got two feeders in our backyard and it's so much fun to watch them fight. You think, how do they ever get anything drunk? They're always fighting. <laughs> but um, they come from the northern parts of the United States and they fly down to Central America and even the upper part of South America. These little bitty birds, how on earth do they do that? And you look into the facts, I'm not going to go into it all, about the, the rate of their heartbeat and how they can do this and how, they can, and how their little tongue works. They actually have a little tongue in that beak that comes out and gets that stuff. He's not sucking, he's, he's licking. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Hummingbirds are fascinating, but you know that's only, oh, praise God, that's only one kind of bird that God made? My goodness, you just think about the eagles and all the facts we've learned about them, and you think about the, the, the pelicans and how different they are, and think about uh, the owls, how their heads kind of, I mean, there's variety, variety, variety. And you pick another type of animal, or you t take a sea creature, they're all so varied. Or you can go and you can look up in the stars and look at the heavens and see the variety that God has there. We have these telescopes that go way out there now, and they just keep finding more and more and more and more. And it's intricate and it's involved. It's not just simple. And that's our God that is that. He has many sides to him, many ways. God likes variety. So why do we think we have to put ourselves in a box as to how we do things or how we look or how we say this or how we deal with it? God likes variety. I want to show you some scriptures about variety. Uh, they're on your sheet. Uh, Psalm 48, 12 through 14 says, walk about Zion. Zion is a type of the church, so you can talk about the body of Christ when you talk about Zion. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Number her towers, her lofty and noble deeds of past days. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her palaces and citadels that you may tell the next generation and cease recalling disappointments. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even until death. All right, we, that body of Christ, we're like this giant castle. There are many ramparts, there are many palaces, many citadels. And he's buried in how he does things, like I was saying. And as we look back over the, the ministries of the past, the moves of the past, we're supposed to look at those things and rejoice in them and talk about the greatness of them. But it says there in the Amplified, cease recalling disappointments. That should be true in our own lives, whether we're looking at, at the history of the church or whatever. Admire the beautiful things that God has done, the varied ways that he has worked. 1 Peter 4.10, As each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace, faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts 
granted to Christians by unmerited favor. So what is diverse? Powers and gifts. Who are they granted to? Somebody say it, shout it out. To Christians. And um, what are we to do with them? Second, second line. Employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's, what kind of grace? Many-sided grace. His grace is just not simple and, and straight down the line. It's many-sided. You can't exhaust the grace of God. Ephesians, the third chapter, 10 and 11. We're looking at a purpose here, a purpose of God. It says, the purpose is that through the church, the many... No, no, no. Through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all of its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. This is in accordance with the terms of the eternal and timeless purpose which he has realized and carried into effect in the person of Christ Jesus our Lord. So that last part, that last phrase, he, all, he did this all through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he put into place? Infinite variety, innumerable aspects. Who is he making this, this wisdom known to? angelic rulers and authorities. He is just showing that stupid devil. He said, look, look at what I have done. Look at what I'm capable of. And what's he doing? Is he just shooting it down from heaven? No, he's doing it through you and me. Praise God. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who by the consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. So, how much? Super abundantly, far over and above. Our highest <coughs> prayers, desires. So, when we look at what he's doing in the kingdom of God, what he's doing in the world, what he's doing through our prayers, don't limit him. There's a, a many ways he can work. There's many ways he can do things, and the outcome is always going to be beautiful. All right, the last one on many-sided variety is Matthew 5, 14, and 16 from the Message Bible. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Praise the Lord. Weren't those good? Yes. Praise God.
Got anything to say about that? How we can encourage others, that last sentence, and how we can give them something to hang on to. Yes, we're, li- we're living in a world that doesn't have much hope. Uh, lots of worry, little hope. And they're needing that. Uh, I was uh, reviewing today the last time I spoke in June, and Stephanie was giving a report about having sat with somebody at the hospital or something, talking, and just realizing how people are hurting to have somebody give them a a grain of hope, a grain of, of there's, there's, there's life, there's life, there's a possibility. And just how often do you can give the simple term to somebody, God loves you, God's crazy about you, and just see it just go to their heart. Why? Because you're so eloquent? No, because it's truth and because it's the cry of God to them. I love them and I want them in my kingdom, in my family. Praise God. Okay. All right. So whether you're talking about operating in the gifts of the Spirit or you're talking about teaching methods or clothing styles or cooking or prayer styles, welcome the infinite variety of God. As long as you keep the foundation. There is foundation. The foundation is the word, the love of God, faith. With that mindset, be free. Be free to pray to God. Be free to talk to him like Miss Monica was saying. It doesn't have to be what you learned in Bible school. It doesn't have to be this special style. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. And if Telling back his word. You know, Mama, you said that blah, blah. God likes to hear his word. God, you said that, you know. Giving back his word, that's always a wonderful way to pray. One more thing I want to talk to you about before I uh, go into scriptures on intercessory prayer is to talk about the word season. Um, did I read you that scripture at the beginning? I don't know if I read you that. Did I read you Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times on every occasion? Okay. Ephesians 6.18, I believe you have it and you're halfway down. Pray at all times on every occasion in every season in the spirit with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong pers- purpose and perseverance interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. So who are we supposed to pray for? All the saints. And when are we supposed to pray? All times in every season. How are we supposed to pray? In the spirit with all manner of prayer and entreaty, whatever type you use, and then perseverance, interceding. That word season has several meanings, and it's used uh, throughout the word. In Ecclesiastes 3, you remember Solomon says there's a time for all things, a season to plant, a season to reap, so forth. In Daniel, the second chapter, the 21st verse, you don't have this one on your sheet, Daniel 2.21, God changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. We're looking for that to happen. 
Uh, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, In due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. So in life, there are seasons. It talks about it there. In your own life, there are seasons. You can probably identify some seasons that you have gone through, especially when you get up to be at my age, there have been a few more seasons. But what I wanted to say to you about that in regard to prayer is variety. There are people in the body of Christ who are intercessors. I mean, that is just a call on them. They're in prayer a lot, a lot, a lot. And, but then everybody is called to intercede, and there will be seasons in your life. I know uh, that I have been a prayer ever since I was a teenager, but there are seasons in my life. There have been seasons when there was a lot of intercessory prayer. There were a, a lot of hours spent, and then there have been other times when there has been less um, urgency or unction to do that. And yet, in saying that, still you can never say, oh, well, I'm just not doing that anymore. No, no. We're always to pray. We're always to be alert to the Spirit of God, sensitive to His voice, but recognize, ah, He hasn't been having me pray an hour a week. I mean, an hour a day now. You you don't get uptight when the season changes. Just be sensitive and be ready to do whatever is put upon you to do and to pray for whatever need that you see. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Now, let's go into some of those scriptures that you have on your page, uh, what the Word has to say about prayer and intercessions. Matthew, the fifth chapter, 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you to show that you are the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the wicked and on the good (coughs) and (coughs) and makes the rain fall upon the upright and the wrongdoers alike. All right, let's look at that verse for a minute. Who does it tell us? that we should pray for. Your enemies and... All right. Now, somebody, give us an example of who that would be. Now, I don't have a, a Philistine that's coming at me with a sword and a shield. Who might an enemy be for you or a persecutor be for you? Mike. Somebody at work that's contentious and rubs you wrong and you rub them wrong. It's nothing that you have planned, but they're just there in your face. (laughs) Okay, another good, Mike, another thought example. Jean. Can be in your own house, your own family, especially if you have teenagers. You just got to do it. (laughs) 
My son is a good. Yeah. Yes, we believe that. Teenagers, people in your home family. Yes. Many times it's a neighbor. Yes, a neighbor. And you're stuck with your neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Once they move or you move, and right. Sometimes you just rub each other wrong. Sometimes those fences aren't yeah, enough to make good neighbors, are they? <laughs> Anyone else? How, hold on, Mike. I want to come to you if you don't mind. Come on, because uh, somebody's going to want to hear there, There's people that are hard, kind of hard to pray for. You don't really naturally want to pray for these people. So they're really easy to spot, you know. <laughs> yes, thank you. Anyone else have a thought on that? And what, why, do, why does he say to do that? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why? To show that you're children of your father. We've had a whole set, uh, set of series of lessons on who we are in Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. As he is in the world, so are we. As he is in the world, so are we. As he is in the world, are we? You know. Yes, Elizabeth Lee. One of the... One of the <laughs> that's a short person. Short person. One of the best... Uh, sermons or teachings I ever heard was from Pastor Hill when he taught us all about the value of people. The value God puts on every person. That turned me right around about praying for certain people. If he loves them, why can't I love them? I have to love them. Mm -hmm. Their value. We each have value to him. Even the bad ones we don't like to. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, and it's so wonderful at those times when you put on your big girl pants and do what you're supposed to do and pray for them and love them and intercede and see God come into their life. Wow. You know, sometimes you'll see it. Sometimes you may never see it. But that's God's desire. He loves that person as much as you love your babies. And he wants to see them in the kingdom. And he wants you as his child he's proud of to help bring up that baby. You know how frustrated you would get if you had an older child and the baby was poo-pooing in his diapers and that older child was fussing at that baby and trying to spank their bottom because they had been bad. No, you want them to nurture that child just like you would. And that's the way God feels about those enemies and uh, persecutors that we have to deal with. All right, let's look at Exodus, no, no, that's not Exodus, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31. And I sought a man among them who should build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not, why am I doing that? Make somebody crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. We were in Ezekiel 22. Stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. So, what, it, what do we do by our prayers? We stand in the gap for him. So 
before him for the land, so that he should not destroy it. Let's, uh, and that was for the land, so that would be for a whole nation. All right, let's look at Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, who will never hold their peace day or night. You who are his servants and by your prayers, put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silence and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her a praise on the earth. All right, when are we to pray? Day and night. And what are we to pray? Yes, that the Lord, we put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. We give him no rest until the promises are established. Second Chronicles 7, 14. You're familiar with this one. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Uh, Next Wednesday night we'll talk a little bit about praying for our nation, and uh, I'll give you a really good prayer that you can pray for that as well. Anybody have anything to say on that one? Yeah. Beg your pardon? We need it. We need, And it's a time, and you, I'm preaching to the choir, but it's a time when we don't need to be getting frustrated in fear and in gripe about what we see, but believe that our God is a good God who answers the prayers of his children when they pray in faith, and that God remembers that this nation was founded Uh, by a people who came here looking for freedom to to worship God and to serve God. And they built a nation under God's hand that has had the freedom to go around the world spreading the gospel and is still doing that to this day. Why would he allow it to fall if he has even a handful of people who will call on his name and pray in faith? And he has more than a handful. So I, like you, am believing to see things change for the positive, things to improve. And we're not to give up on any uh, person or politician, but know that God... We read over there on that first page about superabundantly far over and above all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. We're ready to see you do that for our nation, for our politicians, for our Congress, for all of them. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 through 4 and verse 8. First of all, then, I admonish and urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be offered on behalf of all men, for kings and those in positions of authority or high responsibility, that outwardly we may pass a quiet and undisturbed life, and inwardly a peaceable one in all godliness and reverence and seriousness in every way. For such praying is good and right, and it is pleasing and acceptable to God our Savior, who wishes all men to be saved and increasingly to perceive and recognize and discern and know precisely and correctly the divine truth. Now that's what I'm praying for a number of, I have a list of young people. Some of your kids are on there. Some of my kids are on there. Some other people you don't know are on there. 
but maybe they're not at the point that they need to be saved, but they need increasingly to perceive and recognize and discern and know precisely and correctly the divine truth. The scripture goes on to say, I desire therefore that in every place men should pray without anger or quarreling or resentment or doubt in their minds, lifting up holy hands. Amen? All right, the last scripture on that list, James 5, 6, and 7. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. And he prayed earnestly for it not to rain, and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. Hallelujah. Um, praise the Lord. Got a little bit more time. Let's see how far I can get into this. Um, the next part I wanted to look at before we get into scriptural ways to pray is to look at some of the intercessors and get some points from their lives as to what they did and how they accomplished things. We just heard about Elijah there in James, the fifth chapter. That story that, the, that James refers to is found in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, verse 41 through 45. I don't believe you have that on yours. Um, Okay, did I not put that page number down? Let's try this over here. Yeah. In 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, Elijah said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And Elijah said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile, when did it come to pass? In the meanwhile, it says in the Amplified, so I, I thought I put it on here, but... Do, 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 do. Yeah. Uh, let me read this from here. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. He bowed himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Elijah said, Go again seven times. And at the seventh time the servant said, A cloud as small as a man's hand is arising out of the sea. And Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, hit your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, in a little while, the heavens were black with windswept clouds and there was a great rain. Praise God. Sometimes we have to pray a while. It's not time to give up. It's time to pray again. Uh, Lynn Hammond says about that, when it comes to praying for other people, there's often a need to continue in prayer over a period of time. Such perseverance is not an indication of unbelief. 
On the contrary, according to the Bible, it is faith in action. It is proof that the person praying is so certain God will answer the prayer that he keeps on pressing through until the answer comes. And also one way that you can do that is once you have prayed that, is the next time you go and you want to to say basically the same thing, to put it out before God, you say, Lord, I thank you that you heard me when I said that I thank you, Lord, that this is what you're doing. And then you recite that part again. I thank you, Lord, that that you're working on it. Think about in Luke, the 18th chapter. You, don't, you can go there if you like. You don't have to, have to. But in Luke 18 is where we have the story about the widow who prayed to the unjust judge without fainting. Um, but I think maybe I should go there. I don't think I'm going to do it that justice without getting over there. Luke 18... And Jesus told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, lose heart, or give up. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither reverenced nor feared God nor respected or considered man. And there was a widow in that city who came to him and said to him, protect and defend and keep me from my unjust adversary. And you remember as the story goes on, how she just kept after him and kept after him, and finally he answered her. God is not an unjust judge. But what Jesus is saying here is if uh, a judge will give in to a widow who does that, how much more will, will the Lord take care of you when you call? Uh, and verse 7 says, And will not our God defend and protect and avenge his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. How? Speedily. He will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in the faith in the earth? So we as intercessors need to be persistent. On the sub... I said that. Okay. Okay. No vain repetitions day after day in an empty ritualistic manner. All we should, uh, Lynn says, we should always have our prayers accompanied by a childlike confidence that expects God to do what he promised no matter how long it takes. All right, we've got time to go a little bit farther. The next person in the Old Testament that we're going to look at is Moses. In Ezekiel, the 32nd chapter, the 11th, and the 14th, 11th through the 14th verse. Did I say that wrong? I sure did. I'm getting my Ezekiel and Exodus all mixed up tonight. Exodus, the 32nd chapter. At least that time I heard myself. Exodus, the 32nd chapter. Moses is having one of his talks with God. Way back there, he knew how to talk with God. 
Lord, why does your wrath blaze hot against your people whom you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, for evil he brought them forth to slay them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and change your mind concerning the evil against your people. Earnestly remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Then, then, after he had said all that, the Lord turned from the evil which he had thought to do to his people. Lynn says, notice that Moses put God in remembrance of the promise he had given to Abraham and his seed. Just like Daniel, he based his petition on God's word. Even so, it wasn't simply God's word that saved the Israelites. It was God's word in the mouth of a man. Let me read you that sentence again. It wasn't simply God's word that saved the Israelites. It was God's word in the mouth of a man. There's a scripture, I want to say it's in Isaiah, but it says he creates the fruit of our lips. He wants us to speak his word, but it's that us speaking his word that puts us in connection with him, in companionship or harmony with him, and causes those things to come about. It goes all the way back to the, to the beginning, how we sold out, uh, Adam sold out to, to, to Satan, and he took our birthright, but we have to buy it back through Jesus Christ. So Jesus has bought it back for us. And we have to do our part in the earth with God to cause these things to come about. He's not just going to come on and just do everything on his own unless we cooperate with him. All right. Um, another instance is in Numbers, the 14th chapter, the 11th through the 13th verse. This is still Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have performed among them, I will smite them with a pestilence and dis disinherit them and will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Pardon, I pray you, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your mercy and loving kindness, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. She says, read that last sentence again. God didn't say he would pardon according to his word. He said he would pardon according to Moses' word. God listened and changed the course of history because one man dared to speak. I think that's a good place to stop. We need to be about our father's business. We need to recognize that as he is, so are we in the earth. That as he told the disciples at the beginning, how do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be about the Father's business of saying that over situations, over people, over our church, over our state, over our nation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What difference does it make if I say that? It makes a whole lot of difference because that's what God has told you to do because you do it in faith and because without faith it's impossible to please God. 
We must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Does that encourage you to, to put some more oomph in your prayer and a little more time in your prayer and, and expect for the answers? We're going to have a great time the next two, uh, two sessions going over scriptures, looking at how to pray in the spirit, freeing ourselves up to be who we are. I'm not Paula. Uh, I'm not Ivy. I'm Joy. And and I pray this way, and and I do it this way. One person lays down. One person sits up. One puts two chairs together and talks to it. One person lays on their back. One person goes and walks. One person runs. It doesn't matter. There's great variety. What matters is your heart toward God. What matters is putting your faith that when I speak to my daddy, he listens to me. And when I speak his will, it's done. Amen. It's done. Look at all those suddenly scriptures. There's a bunch of suddenly scriptures. And that's what I look for. Maybe it's taken five years, ten years, but one day there's going to be a suddenly. And that thing is going to turn around, and I'm going to see it, and you're going to see it. Amen? Amen. Thank you.